It really brings me on there actually to my next question, which is food fashion trends, just from leading on to that, because I'm kind of thinking about the diversity of foods that you're talking about. But in the last 10 years specifically, and I started in nutrition about eight years ago, before it was topical, before mm. it was that trendy, trying to bang on people's doors to understand, you know, the importance of nutrition. And now, thankfully, everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking mm. about our health and how we can improve it and the benefits that food can bring. But with that has come a lot of trends. And so you're thinking about, you know, I think there was one set that I was reading even a few years ago that millennials now spend more money on avocado toast and brunch at the weekends than they do going on holiday. All of their extra mm. spending is going into brunching, which eight years ago wasn't terminology we'd use in the UK. Mm. Then we're looking at kale. And I remember kale come up on the rise and massaging kale. And my father saying, well, that's a pauper's food. You know, all of these food fashion trends that are mm. kind of coming to the vicinity of us, thinking that they're beneficial, plant-based milks, that's got a huge kind of ethical mm. barrier there as well. We're thinking we're doing quite good for our health, but actually when we're looking at a, a fuller picture and not the reductionist view that we've been highlighting today, do we think they're as beneficial as we think they are? Because I think we can pull these food fashion trends in quite quickly, but actually what's the bigger picture there? And I think that's something that mm. I'm very interested in as a nutritionist. Well, the bigger picture, and I think there are many people far more qualified than I am who've made the argument there is no such thing as a superfood. There really isn't. And I think the idea of those two words uh, joined together, food and fashion, um, yeah, I, I fundamentally disagree with with kind of that whole relationship we've ended up with. Um, if you think in the 19th century, the banana was the equivalent of the avocado, that people were amazed and full of awe and wonder, this these flavors and the, the appearance of this fruit that they hadn't seen before. And then we designed monocultures in which we could move that fruit from a you know, tropical part of the world and for it to become one of the cheapest ingredients in a, in a supermarket. Mm. The avocado is just yet another one uh, of, of those foods in, in, that, in that long history. And the impact you know, in terms of farming systems and, and loss of biodiversity is huge because to, to meet that demand, there are now vast monocultures um, of avocado and again fitting that pattern that I've mentioned of there are many different tens of if not hundreds of varieties of avocado uh, and we are very you know we get access to the commodity avocado um, so as there are with the banana 1500 different types of banana there's one globally traded banana the Cavendish which is grown in these vast monocultures clonally propagated so it's not grown from seed it's grown from the the roots or the suckers so they are clones and and um, avocados as well. Genetically uniform crop grown in vast monocultures, um, demanding huge amounts of water. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love avocados, but again, complexity and the diversity of diets is far more important than focusing on one in specific ingredient. Mm. I mean, I do find it fascinating that I don't know if you've seen it, but the Netflix series called Rotten. Mm -hmm. And apparently all the drug cartels in, in Mexico now are taking over the avocado farmers because it's more lucrative money-wise than it mm. is to sell drugs of cocaine. Yeah. And then we start seeing a bigger problem, which is, again, the reductionist well, idea it's, of it's this a demand. Global, it's a commodity in the same way that, I, I guess, coca is in the Americas. You know, So mm -hmm. wherever you have a valuable commodity that can be traded to different parts of the world, you, you will end up with... You know, 
economies and communities being distorted by that mm -hmm. trade. Um, and I, I just think it makes no sense nutritionally to single out or focus on a small handful of so-called superfoods, which are um, obviously healthy, delicious in many cases. Um, but uh, the whole, my book is showcasing so many other amazing things that have fallen into decline that are just wonderful. I mean, there's a story of a lentil in southern Germany, one of the most delicious things I've, I've tasted, one of the most humble as well. Went extinct in the 1960s, and a farmer single-handedly went to seed banks to bring back this lost lentil, and now 200 farmers are growing it. And, you know, if you think about legumes disappearing from European diets, mm. one of the things that we really could bring back that's beneficial to the soil, to the planet, to our health as well, and affordable. Mm. So in terms of the cost of living crisis, um, yeah, this, that kind of diversity. And there's so many different diverse types of peas and beans that we could all be eating uh, alongside, you know, the occasional avocado. Thank you for listening. For the full interview, follow the link in the show notes and be sure to subscribe, follow and share the Live Well, Be Well podcast. Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.